0: Our text is 1 Timothy chapter 4. We are looking at verses 11 through 16. Earlier this week, I was stuck in traffic in the Bronx for a good long time. A little bit after that, I was stuck in traffic in Brooklyn for a good long time. By 12 noon, I was stuck in traffic in Manhattan for a good long time. And what was common in all these traffic snarls is that both on my left and on my right were these huge buildings, tall buildings. Some were very modern buildings. Uh, Some of them were very old buildings, having been erected about 150 years ago. Some of them were just plain brick buildings. Uh, Some of them were beautiful buildings made out of hand-carved stone One building looked like a flat flat iron. And another building is rather, rather famous for having a big ape climb up along its side. The blocks and the bricks lined up perfectly. The blocks and the bricks were sturdy. They were strong. They were straight. Each brick was depending on the other each block resting and supporting the other. And these buildings just went up, some of them scraping the sky. The Bible explains to us that the church is very much the same as a building. The Bible describes the church as building blocks stacked together, one supporting the other. Ephesians chapter 2 is where we would need to go to see that. Beginning at verse 19, it reads this way. Referring to the people of God, the church. So you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Christian, you are members of, of the household of God, along with the other believers, along with the other saints. And therefore, you're no longer an alien, a stranger to to the household of God. Verse 20 says that you are built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets. The church is built on the foundations set before us by the apostles and before them the prophets. With Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. Now, even I know how important a cornerstone is. I know very little about building, but I do know that the cornerstone levels the building. The cornerstone determines the direction of the building. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of this building, the household of God. Verse 22 tells us, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God, by the Spirit. In Christ, you, the Church, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. We, Christian, we are given the task of building the household of Jesus Christ. Nobody else in history Nobody else in this world has been given the task of building up God's household except for Christians. The church is to build the church. And First Timothy is about how to build the church. Now last week we looked at how important it is to keep our eyes on the future in order to build the church of Jesus Christ. In order to build a church in a godly way, anybody could assemble people. That's not hard to do. A charismatic leader can assemble people very easily. That's not what the Lord asks us to do. The Lord does not say assemble people, it says build my church and build it with godly people. That's our duty to build this church with godliness. Take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 4 with me, and let me read to you beginning at verse 11, and I'll work our way down to just verse 16. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the young pastor, Timothy. You'll see how young he is in just a few moments. Look at verse 11. Here's the mandate given to Timothy. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you, By prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Maybe you noticed, maybe you could point point them out. There are three disciplines, three spiritual disciplines listed here, which will nurture godliness in you. Which will nurture godliness then in us. If we are to build the church of Christ, we are to build it in godliness. And here we see three disciplines by which we can do just that. Now, last week we talked about how we are to keep our eyes in the future. We're not talking about the calendar future. We're talking about the eternal future. We should prepare ourselves today for what we will encounter in eternity. And so the Christian life is very much about then and not now. Yes, we are living now and we have to take care of the now, but our focus is not on the here and now. Our focus is on what will be and that is our presence in God's eternal presence. And so I said that we have an eschatological understanding of life. We live here, but we live for there. We live now, but we live for then. It's not that we disregard today. We have to live today. But our hope, our expectation, our preparation is for what is yet to come. And we need to prepare our lives now for what is yet to come. Keep in mind that God will reward and God will judge us for how we live here, this Christian life on this planet. But what I want you to see this morning is something a bit different. Instead of looking to the future, what I want you to see is that we have to look inward as well. If we are going to prepare for eternity... If we are going to build the household of God, we need to look inward. And that's the first discipline. It's recorded for us in verses 11, 12, and 13. In order to grow in godliness, you have to look inward, and there will begin your training in godliness. Now, twice here in this passage, Paul refers to these things. He uses that phrase eight times in the book of First Timothy. And when he says these things, he's referring to the various truths that he has already outlined for Timothy and the church there in Ephesus. These are imperatives. These are not suggestions. These are not what Paul is saying, Hey, listen, Tim, church in Ephesus, when you get around to it, think about doing this. Rather, he's saying these are are the essentials. These are the imperatives for the Christian life as well as for the Christian church. And so look at what Paul says to Timothy, verse 11. He says, command and teach these things. These are not optional. The instructions for Timothy are very clear. He's saying, Timothy, I am insisting here that you insist on these things and that you articulate and convey these truths clearly to your church. They need it. You must do this. This is the standing order that Paul gives to Timothy, the young leader. We don't know his age We can guess, but we don't know how accurate we would be. We know he's not a teenager. We know he's a man. But he's a young man. And he's being given this mandate. Command and teach these things. Be sure to teach and be sure to insist on these godly words. In other words, Timothy, it has to begin with you. My friends, listen, if the believer is the building blocks of God's household, then godliness is the mortar that holds it together. Timothy, therefore, needs to prepare himself to be able to say, brother, it's not good that you would believe this or that. Sister, it's important that you do not live this way or that way. Teach and command. But as you see here, Timothy is a young man. And it ends up that his age is an impediment for him as a leader. It's difficult for people who are seasoned in life to listen to the wisdom or the teachings or the commands of someone who is less seasoned, someone who is still young, that's the case of Timothy the young pastor I remember um, 25 years ago when I first came to Hope Church uh, several people said well he's so young (laughs) and I was nobody says that to me anymore (laughs) he's so young what does he know about life How is he going to instruct me on how to live the Christian life? What does he know about the home or marriage or raising children? What does he know about the church or about the Bible? I remember the first time, even before this, uh, coming here, I had an opportunity to visit somebody in jail. uh, My first prison visit. And I had to be escorted by the prison chaplain throughout the jail. And as we went deeper and deeper into this jailhouse, the, uh, the, 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 the jail cells were just slammed behind me, and it was rather intimidating, I must say. It was that clang, and then another one, clang, and we're just going further and further down this hallway, and I must have looked very, very frightened, because the chaplain said to me after that visit, he said, young man, don't you ever come back. <laughs> At verse 12, Timothy, that young pastor, is told the following. He says, Let no one despise you for your youth. Now, the word here despise is rather strong in the English. In the original language here, it's not saying let no one loathe you or hate you. They didn't. They didn't hate him. They didn't loathe him. But here it's saying, Timothy, don't let anybody deride you. Don't let anybody ridicule you. Don't let people in your church so contempt for you, because you are so young, because you are inexperienced in your, because you're such a, a a youth. Now, personally, I am attracted to youthfulness. I think many people are. And my wife laughs at me because I'll watch movies that teenagers would watch. Says, "Why? Why? You're an old man now." <laughs> By the way, I think the teen years are years of opportunity, not years for parents to fear. It's an age of opportunity for us to teach, train, and continue to guide them. Yes, it may be more difficult, but we should not fear those years, but take advantage of those years to help mold and train our children and grandchildren. But I I like the, the, the idea of youth because they seem to be so carefree. Uh, These are years in which there is a particular type of innocence. Uh, Certainly they are not innocent per se, but in so many ways they are not tainted by all the griefs of the world. Uh, There's a freshness to it. Uh, Everything is so still new to them, and personally I like watching that. Everything is so new. Everything is an experience, an encounter, And you see their eyes open up like, oh, oh. However, when I think of youthfulness, there is no sense of wisdom. When we think of youth, we don't think necessarily of steadiness or good judgment. And those are three things that every pastor needs. Wisdom, steadiness, good judgment. When people were looking at Timothy, they were wondering, eh, how much wisdom can come from that young life? How steady is he? Has he been Has he been tested? Has he been weathered yet? What kind of judgment does he have? These are the things a pastor needs, and these are the things that people were wondering. Does he have them? Can he actually lead us? And sometimes people may look at you and say, you know, maybe you're not so young anymore but your past look at your past can we judge your wisdom can we trust your wisdom is there a steadiness in you is there good judgment in you maybe it's your lack of education Well, can we trust your wisdom is there good counsel coming from you maybe you're a new believer in Christ and people might look at you and say I don't know Can we trust your wisdom? Do you know the scriptures well enough to give counsel? Well, whichever the case may be, why people would question you, understand that you need to look inward in order to develop godliness. And so Paul says to Timothy, don't let people despise you. Don't let people uh, hold you Uh, aside and not respect you because of your youth but how is he going to not let people do this how is he going to keep people from doing this and instead respecting him and following him as the pastor well the answer is this Timothy look inward and know yourself look inward last week look to the future this week look inward and know yourself and I'll extend Paul's advice to Timothy to all of us here, if you want to nurture godliness in you you need to look inward and you need to know yourself Paul explains himself in the second half of verse 12 he writes to Timothy but set the believers an example in speech and in conduct in love in faith and impurity. Five different ways in which Timothy has to look inward and see where he stands and what kind of a person he is. In other words, Timothy, you're going to have to earn their respect. And you will do so when you look inward and begin to examine yourself in these five categories of life. You will have to prove yourself to your church And you will be able to succeed if indeed you are training yourself in godliness in these five areas. Don't allow your youthfulness to be a reason to be disregarded. Counter your inexperience with an ever-increasing godliness. Friends, counter your past with an ever-increasing godliness counter your lack of education with an ever-increasing godliness counter your lack of time in the Lord by increasing in godliness in time and by the way uh, here Paul is clear that you are not just to prove yourself don't just prove yourself to them but look Lead them by being their example. Don't just prove your character. Lead them by example. And he gives these five, these five characteristics. Uh, let me speak a little to each one of them. The first one is speech. Look inward and consider your speech. It's not just talking about what words you use, although that is important. But he's talking in particular about Conversation. Yes, conversation in regards to God's word, but also conversation in general. Are your words true words? Are you speaking truth? Are your words kind words? Do you speak kindly? Are your words honest words? Is your conversation helpful words? Are they sound words? Keep in mind that your tongue is a very, very, very powerful instrument. It can call down blessings from heaven or bring failure into your life, your conversation. The Bible says in Proverbs 18 that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it, they that love the tongue, shall eat the fruit thereof. Your life will be the result of what comes out of your mouth. Of what you say. Godly speech is essential. Godly conversation is necessary. Truthful and kind. Thoughtful words. That is to say, we speak... Only after we have thought. Sometimes I have learned that the best thing to say is nothing at all. Just be silent. Of course, avoid gossip and learn to say these six words. Maybe the most important six words for any one of us here I am sorry. I was wrong. Can you learn to say that? I am sorry. I was wrong. Keep in mind that wise and sound words come from a wise and sound heart. Secondly, Paul says, Timothy, don't forget your conduct. Yes, your conversation is very important, but your conduct is equally important. That is, your, your actions, your behavior, both public and private, they're very important. And, and, of course, we could spend a lot of time speaking about our public conduct, but, but let me place emphasis here on the private. We can't place enough emphasis on who we are in private. Your public persona is of no value whatsoever, If it contradicts your private persona. Keep in mind that your behavior, when nobody's watching you, is really who you are. That's who you are. Have you ever wondered, who am I? Who am I? Well, when you're sitting in a room all by yourself, when you're driving a car all by yourself, who you are, what you're thinking about, what you do, that's who you are. And let me remind you that as we are growing in godliness, that behavior, that conduct, should increasingly reflect Jesus Christ. More and more and more. Let me remind you that you never peak and just stay there. Either you are growing in your likeness to Christ, or you are retracting. You are lessening. But you never peak and just stay there. Either you're going up, or you're sliding down. It's like that old... Kids' game, shoots and ladders. Either climbing or sliding down and eating too many green apples. Your godly behavior is going to put flesh onto the bones of your words. Here's number three. It says, Timothy, I want you to also look inward and take a look at your love. And be an example to others in love. And of course the word love there is the Greek word agape, which is the highest degree of love. Agape is a persistent love. It's a love that's hard to exercise because it's a love that continues to be effective even when it's not reciprocated. It's the kind of love we need in marriage. It's the kind of love we need in the church. It's the kind of love we need throughout our relationships. A love that says, I will do right by you. Even if you don't do right by me. It's the kind of love that God gives to you, to us. A love that perseveres, a love that persists, even when we are not loving to God. It says, look at your love, Timothy, and tell me, tell yourself, what kind of love do you have? This is probably the hardest of the five characteristics My conversation and my conduct, both are so much more manageable than my ability to love the unlovable. Or to love those who do not love me. Here, Paul says, set the example to your church of what it means to love. Now, when he says love here, he's not talking about, I want you to have a sappy emotion. I want you to have goosebumps every time you see that person. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to love in that you are placing that person first. Over you. You're placing the, the, the good of that person over yourself. It's the kind of love we need in God's household. It's the kind of love we need in our homes. It's the kind of love we need to see in society at large. But we don't expect that from the world, but we do expect it from God's world, from Christians, from the church, both in public and in private. Love. Doing for them what you would want them or others to do for you. Agape. And then there's faith. Timothy, I want you to consider your faith. Look inward and tell yourself, what kind of faith do you have, Tim? How and to what degree do you trust in God? God. Godliness is displayed strongly when we entrust our lives, when we entrust our situations to God. And listen, we all here have some horrific stories to tell about what has happened to us when we were young or when we grew older. Things that have happened to us that we never imagined would be a part of our history. Things that are accentuated in our biographies that we would never want repeated again. We all have sorrow. And we don't know what tomorrow will bring. But I can say this. The person who's growing in godliness is the person who says, no, those are not good things, but I continue to trust in the Lord. And he will see me through. It may be very painful. It may be very hazardous. But I know this. My God is with me. Sounds simple from here? I know it's not. But that's what faith is all about. Spiritual maturity does require faith instead of worry. Worry does nothing for the situation. Faith helps us to not only see the reality of God on our side, it helps us to actually manage whatever may come our way. We need to trust in the Lord to sovereignly care for us. And notice, my faith is in God, not in the outcome. I will trust in the Lord, not trust in the outcome. So no matter what the outcome is, my trust is in the Lord. My Lord will see me through. Hmm. Timothy. Look at your faith, look inward, measure your faith, and then set the example for others. Now, obviously here, Paul is speaking to a pastor, a young pastor. And we could very easily say, well, I'm so glad I'm not a pastor. Well, I can't say we. You can easily say, well, I'm not a pastor. But my friends, let me remind you that these are characteristics characteristics that are necessary for every one of us if we want to be spiritually maturing, if we want to grow in our godliness, if we want to build the Church of Christ, and by the way, if we want to have a good life at home with our families. So this is not just for Pastor Tim or for Pastor Paul. It's for the Church of Christ. Number five, purity. Purity. By the way, Paul speaks about purity once again in chapter 5, verse 2. He's talking here about a cleanliness of the soul. The evidence of God's sanctifying work in the Christian. Saying, Tim, take a look at yourself. Take a look at yourself and see how pure you are. How how do I tell? Well, what is your propensity? What are your desires? Are you desiring those things that are good, wholesome, and virtuous? Or are you looking and finding your pleasure in what is dark, sinful, and wicked? What's your purity looking like, Tim? Tim? And of course the same question is asked of us. What's your purity looking like? You see, your purity determines what impacts your conduct in words. We've just got full circle. Yes, your conduct is important. Yes, your 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 words, your conversation is important, but your purity will determine how you conduct yourself, and your purity will determine what kind of words come out of your mouth. Your purity will determine the attitude that formulates the words in your mouth. I think, in terms of purity, it seems to me that it is more difficult than ever before in our American history to be pure. Because we are constantly being being bombarded with impurity. And it's given to us, not even in subtle ways anymore, but it's given to us at such a high rate and an entertaining rate that we don't even see it as impure. It's making me smile. It's making me relax. I'm enjoying this. How can it be wrong? And the reality, especially for men, when it comes to what is pure and impure, namely pornography, is that it's changing the psyche of men, and it's destroying marriages. It's also extending adolescence, so that young men do not want to get married. Young men do do not want to uh, 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 take on adult roles. They just want to stay young and teenagers and have fun. It used to be that only girls wanted to have fun. Huh. Now men too. And, and it's actually ruining a generation of youth. And, and with the issue of pornography, we have become so inoculated by pornography. You know how a vaccine works, right? It's supposed to work. It, 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 gives you, it gives you just a little bit of the disease to help you to keep you from getting the disease. It inoculates you. I think we have been so inoculated by pornography incrementally so that it doesn't even matter. So that if you were to go out on the streets and ask somebody about whether or not pornography is wrong, the majority of people would say, oh no, it's not wrong at all. And unfortunately, they'll whisper the same thing in the church. Christians will say, oh no, I really don't think it's wrong. It's natural. God designed us this way. We don't say it out loud because there's a little voice in our mind saying, you know it's wrong. But we don't feel it's wrong anymore. Why? Because we've been inoculated by it. How many Christians have misused their private time only to discover that they now have a seemingly inescapable habit. Both in the average goer, church goer, and even church leaders. Purity. Purity. Five categories for us to examine ourselves. How are you doing? Well, it's too early to say, right? But this week, go home and think about those five categories and examine yourselves. Know yourself. Meanwhile, look at verse 13. Paul says, says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of, of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Paul says to Timothy, This is what you need to be in the business of. As you're setting an example to these people in those five categories, as you are examining yourself, listen, you need to devote yourself to three things, key issues, in order for them to grow in their godliness. One is the reading of God's Word. Second is the teaching of God's Word. And three is exhortation. This is what Timothy, the pastor, needs to be doing, but this is what the church needs to be hearing and seeing. Reading the Word of God means you are being exposed to what the Bible says. Teaching the Word of God on the part of Timothy means that you, the church, are are gleaning an understanding of what God's Word says. An exhortation referring to preaching, that is the instruction and applying of God's Word. Timothy, you are to preach, which means church, you are to listen. If you are going to grow in godliness. Listen, If you do not want to grow in godliness, do none of this. Toss it out. But if you want to grow in godliness, these are the essentials. Command and teach these things, Timothy. So you see here that verse 13 is actually taking us right back to verse 11. Command and teach these things. God's word is the chief means of producing change in your soul. Your soul is going to mature to the degree that you embrace the reading of God's word, the teaching of God's word, and the preaching of God's word. Number two. Discipline number two. It's recorded for us in verses 14 and 15. Verse 14, Paul writes Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Here's discipline number two if you're going to grow in godliness serve willingly. Serve willingly. Use the spiritual gifts entrusted to you by God when you came to Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you were born again. Now, we don't know when this occurred in Timothy's life. We don't know how many years back Paul is referring to when he was ordained into ministry. By the way, to be ordained into ministry means he was called to, By God, he was equipped for the ministry and he was set apart for vocational ministry. Here it was given to you by prophecies when the elders laid their hands on you. We don't know when that was, but it did occur. He was enabled by God. He was given particular abilities in order to be the pastor, in order to be a Christian and serve the household of God. And here... Paul makes clear, if you are going to be that godly person I've been talking to you about, well then, you need to not neglect those gifts. You need to serve willingly. Do not neglect the gift you have. That is, indeed, teach the Word of God. Relay God's truth. Preach. Exhort the people of God. Be an example to them. Serve the household of God. And notice how emphatic Paul is here. How is he to do these things? Notice it says, Practice these things and immerse yourself in these things. That is to say that there is a sense of intensity. Make it your overreaching goal to serve God's people. We were singing about that earlier. About the overarching purpose of God in us and our desire, the movement of God in us. To serve him and know more of him. Immerse yourself in it. Be absorbed in these things. And Paul says, and then Timothy, your progress will be evident. You will be an example of godly man in your church. And people will notice. Remember, he said, Let nobody despise your youth but set for them an example in five different ways. And and he says, if you are doing these things, it will be evident. Now, notice he does not say, Timothy, I want you to be perfect. Perfect these things, no. Neither does he say, Timothy, I want you to win the people's praise. No, he doesn't say that. He says, then they will see your progress. And the word their progress is actually a military term, meaning an advancing army. Timothy, they will see the power of God in you advancing forward. Powerful evidence of godliness. Your youth, your past, your lack of education will not hinder your testimony in the church of Christ If you are increasing in godliness. And here's number three, the third discipline, verse 16. If you are to increase in godliness, three disciplines you need to exercise. One is look in, see yourself. Number two, willingly serve, use the gifts that God has given to you. And number three, be vigilant. When training in godliness, be vigilant. Look at what Paul writes in verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Some translations read, keep a close watch on yourself and on your doctrine. That is to say, Timothy, keep a critical eye on yourself. Keep a critical eye on what you believe. Maintain a watchful eye over who you are and what you are believing. Keep an eye on it. Don't blink. Don't look away. Keep an eye on what you're believing, what you're embracing, who you are becoming. Watch your inner thoughts. Know your feelings. These are things that we just don't talk about elsewhere. The scriptures talk about it, but the world will tell you otherwise. The world will say, don't talk about these things. Just go and live and enjoy yourself because you don't know what tomorrow will bring. It may all end tomorrow. So enjoy today. Don't think about your thoughts. Just enjoy yourself. You work. You make money. Spend it. Enjoy yourself. And listen, take your family with you. The scriptures say otherwise. The scriptures say, watch who you are and watch very carefully. Watch what you believe and be very vigilant over your doctrine. The bulk of the spiritual casualties that I have witnessed over my years in ministry are due to people overlooking this very verse. They did not watch over their doctrine. They did not watch over their hearts. And the results were catastrophic. They didn't know themselves, and they gave in to their dark longings. They believed many right things. However, they ignored the insidious, poisonous beliefs, which came in very small and slowly, but spread and grew And destroy them. It ruined them. It ruined their marriages. It ruined their faith. It ruined their reputation. Certainly, it ruined their devotion to Christ and His church. My friends, who you are and what you believe will impact your life. Who you are and what you believe will impact your family. And who you are and what you believe will impact your church. And so let that impact be one of godliness. You do have an effect. Let it be a godly effect. The godly Christian keeps a close watch on his character and a close watch on her belief system. So know yourself. Look inward and engage with yourself. Examine yourself very closely and know who you are dealing with. And make godliness your priority. So Paul, at the very end of verse 16, writes this. He says, persist or persevere in this. For by so doing, you will save, look at this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You will save yourself and your hearers a great deal of calamity in this life. But what a tragedy, I think you would agree, what a tragedy it would be to discover that my life and that my belief system tells me that I never really knew Jesus Christ. I said the right things in public. I did the right things in public. But my inner man and my belief system... Say otherwise. And what a greater tragedy it would be if I were to lead others in that same direction. My friends, persevere in this, persevere in this, persevere in this. Look inward, serve willingly, be vigilant if you are to go, going to grow in your godliness. Pray with me. Our Lord and our God, how good it is to know that what you require of us, you empower us to do. May we be so willing and determined to rest in you, to trust in you, and to submit to you so that these things would be true of us. Amen.